and welcome. Uh, it's another episode of The Nonprofit Show. So glad to have Jennifer Palin with us joining today uh, from Bloomerang. And Jennifer's here to talk about major gift asks and how you can set up for success. We have five, or I should say she has five tips that she's going to share with us. And uh, so glad to have you back here, Jennifer. Uh, Julia and I really enjoy our conversations with you. For those of you watching and listening, Julia Patrick is here. She serves as the CEO of the American Nonprofit Academy. And I'm Jarrett Ransom, her nonprofit nerd, but yours too, CEO of the Raven Group, and honored to serve alongside and to be of service in these conversations Thank you to our sponsors that allow these conversations and this opportunity for us to serve in this way. So again, huge shout out of gratitude goes to our friends over at Bloomerang, where Jennifer joins us from, American Nonprofit Academy, your part-time controller, nonprofit thought leader, fundraising academy at National University, staffing boutique, and as well, the nonprofit nerd. So, so glad to have their support. You know, they've allowed us to produce over 700, I should say, and 50 plus episodes. They're all on Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Vimeo, YouTube, as well as podcast form. So cue us up wherever you like to um, consume your entertainment. You can find us in many of these platforms. And, and in fact, just a few hours after today's live conversation that we're having, uh, this episode with Jennifer Palin will be up and live on these streaming platforms. So Jennifer, so glad to have you back. Um, for Again, for those of you that Jennifer might be new uh, to use, she is the Senior Director in Channel Management at Bloomerang. And uh, not a new face to us, again, backed by popular demand, and so glad to have you back with us. So officially, welcome. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. Now, you're going to be talking to us about major gifts. And so there's so many voices at Bloomerang, so many people that have amazing talents that have joined the organization. Talk to us about your understanding and your work in major gifts. Uh, absolutely. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so I've done major gift work um, as a major gift officer, a director of major gifts, um, probably for the better part of at least the last dozen years. And um, I've had the privilege of, you know, mostly doing it in academia um, at institutions around um, around the Boston area. Um, and I also worked for um, a healthcare nonprofit focused on the elderly, where I was the director of development for um, for uh, research on the elderly, but really um, partnering with major gift officers on major gift asks. So this is an area of passion for me. Um, I've, you know, done gifts of, of every size, um, you know, also having an annual fund hat on and, you know, leadership gifts, the mid-range level. But, um, you know, I think because it's so relationship driven, this is part of the area of uh, development that I really um, found most valuable and most meaningful to me. Right. Oh, well, it's so important. You know, I was just having a conversation yesterday with a client asking about, you know, the diversification of their revenue, what it should be, how much should come from individuals, how much from other sources. So we're going to dive right in and we have a lot to cover in this amount of time. And for those of you, again, watching and listening, we are merely scratching the surface. As we said earlier, each of these five, you know, 
strategies literally could have an episode in and of themselves. But we're going to start off asking you, uh, Jennifer, to talk about the determination of the target ask amount as your major gift success strategy number one. What do you share for this? Sure. So obviously, this is a very key component. And I would say that if you're doing your job well, you know, since we're already at the making the ask stage, you visited with this, um, the prospect before, and you've done your homework, right? You've used the cultivation tools at your disposal, which include, you know, wealth screening, background, background research on, you know, two key components, which are um, what is the prospect's capacity and what is the prospect's inclination? You know, um, at Bloomerang in our database, we have that by um, generosity score and in engagement meter. But those are two key things. But um, likely the most important thing is the conversations that you've had with the prospect leading up to this point. Uh, key, key questions that I like to ask to help determine this is, uh, what are your, you know, what are ca other causes you care about? What are your philanthropic priorities? Mm -hmm. um, you know, they've selected to meet with you. So obviously, likely you've made the list. And if you haven't made the list, you're, you're probably not going to get to the making the ask conversation. And then I, uh, and then I like to ask, where does, you know, where does XYZ or whatever or nonprofit is, where do we fall on your list of philanthropic priorities? Because it's so easy to fall into a trap just because someone made a million dollar gift to the organization down the road doesn't mean that, you know, you're qualified to make a million dollar ask for your organization. You know, are they the engagement meter? You know, you really have to think how engaged. And then on the flip side, uh, maybe if, even though that person either may not have made a major gift before or only given, say, $500 or $1,000 for a few years, if, if they say you're the number one priority and you've gotten other indications, that doesn't mean you can't ask them for, you know, so that's why I think it's so much of an art, you know, in, yeah. com in combination. And then I also like to get numbers on the table in previous and prior meetings you know, even once you find out what they care about, you know, you can talk about a range, some people invest X and Y or Y, and you can see people's reaction or a lack of reaction as an indicator. You know, if you mention a number that you think is lower than you were going to ask in their eyes, you know, usually they'll tell you, they'll tell you in, in verbal and nonverbal ways, right? Oh, I could never do that. And, and then sometimes you mention a big number and there's no reaction which I always think is a great side. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, uh, so I think, you know, that all those, those are some of the key things um, in determining ask amount, because if you're doing your job, by the time you're at that solicitation visit, you've determined yeah. who, um, what's the program, who is the right person or people, and what's the right amount. So, um, and then I always, there might not be just one amount. I always have like a back pocket option, you know, if oh, I really want to support this, but I can't do X, have another option. But um, I am I am a fan, especially when it comes to major gift asks, having a specific um, amount in mind. You know, the next uh, strategy, number two, I'm fascinated with um, 
because just last week I was at uh, going to lunch with somebody, walked past a booth, looked over. It was a very good friend of mine who's a CEO of a major organization, and I could tell she was asking a, ma- a major gift uh, for a major gift. And I was really like in my my personality was like, hey, sister, you know, like, what are you doing here kind of thing, right? And it was super uncomfortable. And then I felt just terrible because I knew that I had interrupted something. But these people were at a restaurant. And so preparing the visit environment, talk to us about that, because it seems like a lot of this does go down in a social environment. That is a that is a key point. It does. And I'm actually not always against a social environment either. Um, because um, you know, people give to people. And once you're at a major gift ask, chances are you've interacted with this person in other ways. So, you know, to inform all those pieces that we talked about. So um, you know, if if it's up to me. You know, if I sometimes you have control of the environment, like selecting the location or the venue, sometimes you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if I have control, I often say, you know, I'm happy to come to your home. Um, we can meet over coffee. Sometimes I'll say I can bring lunch, uh, mm-hmm. you know, or we meet at a restaurant. And um, what I like about doing it in a in a, you know, at a restaurant or someone's home is it, it provides an opportunity for more social interaction. You know, mm-hmm. people give to people. So it gives you a chance to talk not just about the business at hand, but other things, you know, even other things about the organization. Um, so, you know, the more and it it helps solidify and build that relationship, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're at someone's home, you know, you learn so much about a person from, you know, what's in their home, their artwork, you know, um, the hardest for me is, and is when you meet someone at their office, and you're in a conference room, that's totally bare, that's no, that not informed in in any way. And that happens a decent amount, especially prior to COVID, when you would never have these conversations over Zoom, even if you're having the major gift ask over Zoom, which I have been, you usually know if you've met with them before that background environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but a couple of key points about it, you know, sometimes you're familiar with the place, sometimes you're not. Mm-hmm. I always say, go there early. I know it's master of the obvious, but you want to make sure you get a good seat. Uh, you want to make sure you're in a position where you're sitting across from them and that you can make eye contact. I'm not a big fan of coffee shops, which is hard because for these, because it's loud grinding coffee. And it's crowded. Um, and those times I'll get there especially early. If if it's a if it's a real, real big ask, um, and I haven't been to a place before, but it's not far from me, I'll go there in advance and find out the situation. Or sometimes, you know, since I've worked in a university um or at a facility, and if I don't know, it's it's the facility I'm representing, but if I've never been to that floor, that department, or that building, I go there in advance. So I know the route. I know what the room looks like and the layout. Um, and if you're involving another person in a lot of major gift asks, you might be bringing the CEO or the program director. Um, you want to make sure that you sit on the same side of the table opposite them because you don't want to force 
the person that you're making the ask to look two different ways, you know, when you're making that ask. So I always, and, you know, in a planning meeting, I will talk about that with the person joining me, you know, and I always, you know, a lot of times I'll offer to sit first or I'll, or I'll direct them. Why don't you sit here? We're going to sit here. Um, But you, you know, you predetermine those things and, and it'll, you know, So you control what you can control. But I think obviously a lot of planning, a little planning goes a long way um, and it's helped set you up for success. It's one less worry to, you know, you should be focused on the conversation as much as possible and less on the environment. I love these tips, Jennifer. And I also want to say like, you know, the, the noise, that's something to highly consider sunlight. If, if you're going to be sitting in the sun's, you know, shining straight in or the temperature, is it too cold, too warm, you know, just all of that. But Julia, I think we've all been there in that social environment where you're looking and you're like, oh, I think, I think this might be happening right now. (laughs) Yeah. It's weird. And it's, It's also, I think, too, it's not very private. And I think that's always one of my concerns is if if you're talking about legacy and finances and multi-generational, you know, wealth, it it can be a little dicey because it's it's more public. And so I think, uh, Jennifer, some of your things have been really, really interesting um, to consider. Let's move on to number three, solicitation process. Radio silence. Okay, Jared and I are dying to know what this means. <laughs> I know I'm going to be quiet. I know. Yes. So, um, well, I'll start at the beginning and then we'll get to the to my radio silence. Um, you know, usually when you're at the solicitation, um, you know, you've, uh, I, I'm a huge believer in writing out um, a script whether that's just talking points, bullet points, the whole meeting, whatever works for you. Sometimes I like to type it out and then I drill it down um, and rehearsing. You know, you can't rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. If you have another person involved, um, especially if it's like somebody, you know, part of the more executive leadership, meet with that person in advance. Make sure they understand what their role is, what your role Who's the driver? One person I feel like always needs to be the driver in the conversation. You know, who's who's asking, who's sitting back? Um, I think all those things in advance really set you, you know, really help set you up for success. Um, and manage your adrenaline, right? It is nerve-wracking, right? It, it can be nerve-wracking. And um, so um, to keep like the way sometimes I'll structure a conversation and there's a few different ways to do this, but, um, I'll do like, I'll summarize the experiences to date, kind of a retrospective of how we got to this meeting. Um, in doing so, um, you know, I talk about the case for support, less about the details of it, because that's already been discussed. You know, I know this is, you know, you want to show where their passion meets your alignment of priorities. You want to maybe rephrase what they've shared with you before. Like, I know you're so passionate about scholarships because, um, and say, you know, as we've talked before, um, I, you know, through these conversations, I'm asking, and this is, you know, three words, would you consider, Mm -hmm. 
you know, a gift of X or a gift of X, which would fully endow the scholarship. And then radio silence. Radio silence. Do the pause. It could be awkward. It could be uncomfortable. Manage your adrenaline (laughs) because, um, you know, you really want, you know, and if, if they're silent, that that's a really good sign, right? Like, If they say yes too quickly, I feel like, oh, I asked for, I didn't ask enough, not the right ask amount. If they say no too quickly, that's informative as well. Um, And the more you rehearse, because you can psych yourself out. I'm recalling a specific experience um, when, you know, earlier on when in my first major gift role, you know, where I get to the location early, it was someone's office pretty private office. So I couldn't walk in advance. I'm practicing in the car. And I thought, who am I to be walking in asking this couple for a quarter million dollars? You know, like, who do I think I am? And I remember breaking out in hives and getting really nervous and having to calm myself down and say, wait a minute, you know, they've selected to meet with me. This is our third meeting, or we've had these conversations, they have indicated their support in every other way, you know, all these different ways. Um, You know, I've I've earned this right. And I'm giving them an opportunity, you're giving them an opportunity to invest. And especially when it is maybe people who haven't been philanthropic or don't have a huge history. Um, You know, one of the things I've loved about working in philanthropy the most is you're empowering people to see themselves as philanthropists, which can be really powerful. It's wonderful. It's really exciting. And I, I love that you keep inserting manager adrenaline because you're so right, you know, and really, really getting to this radio silence is, is so important. You know, I'm recalling an opportunity, honestly, it's just human behavior, you know, knowing people and how they respond. I talk often about my son, but he's a processor. And so if he's silent, it's not that he's offended, he's thinking, (laughs) You know, and, and seeing this behavior in people, whether they talk as they, as they process or they become silent, even if they're silent, doesn't necessarily mean that they're objecting to, you know, to this request. So I love that you're bringing up these, these tips and techniques. And again, for those of you um, that have joined us, we're so glad you're here. Each of these strategies literally can have its own 30 minute or more segment. Um, so don't, don't get discouraged if, if you're like, I want, I want more. (laughs) So let's do move into this. Thank you, Julia, for the handling objections, because this is your strategy. Number four, Jennifer, uh, for that major gift success is how do you recommend we handle objections? Yes. Um, so first of all, I say, don't be scared of objections. They be positive, think positively about it, objections. Objections show interest. You know, I, I am far more fearful of indifference and an indecision than I am about objections. And then I think this is when active listening really comes into play. You know, um, you know, there's often only a handful of reasons why people will have objections. They'll be you know, or, or say no, you know, it's the wrong, wrong nonprofit or organization, in which case you're, you're likely not at this point, the wrong program, the wrong person, as I've mentioned, or the wrong timing. 
So ask them, you know, ask open-ended questions, understand and identify what their objections are and listen with empathy um, and understanding and acknowledge them. Uh, You don't want to go tearing into your answer right away and negating it. You really want to make sure you're understanding it. And if you've developed that relationship and done your homework, um, you're coming in prepared to anticipate them. As part of my script and briefing, I have a what to do if they say no, what to do if they say yes, a few objections. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to bring up an objection that you may not have anticipated. But, um, you know, a lot of times, nine times out of 10, you know, you you can have a playbook for that. Like sometimes I'll say, I, I, I really understand that you feel this way. In fact, I've talked to donors who have felt the same way until they found out you know, and then, and then try to identify the sole objection. You don't have to negate the, you know, three or four objections. Try to classify and clarify it and get down to the sole one, you know, and, and try to address that one, you know, you know, very, very gently. And, you know, there's so many different kinds. There's misunderstandings, you know, um, my gift is just a drop in the bucket compared to what you can give. You know, I, I, I understand that you feel that way, but um, honestly, there's so few um, donors or people in our network that can have this kind of impact. And you're one of a select few, you know, or um, sometimes there's the emotional objections. They just can't get past an experience that they had and no amount of facts is going are going to disprove that. Or maybe it's an experience that Um, a friend or a relative had, you know, um, having worked in academia, I, you know, raised money for a lot of scholarship support. And someone said, you know, I don't, you know, I I just, it's so hard to get past when I was, you know, a student, I didn't get the scholarship money that I needed. And, you know, and I said, you know, I'm so, you know, you're sorry that they had that experience, but then I'd use it to turn it around too. I said, that's why, this is so important for us now that we build the resources to be able to do this for other people. Yeah. And I love for me, what really hits home is to listen with empathy, you know, and and to say, you know, genuinely some of these responses that you've so eloquently said during this episode, Jennifer, you know, is really like, this is why we need this impact. And, um, yeah, that that empathy piece, I think, goes a long way in these major gift solicitations, in all solicitations. Yeah, really. And and again, I'm a I'm a big fan of Plan B too. You know, if they say I really want to do this, but that's too much. You know, oh well, there's other meaningful ways that donors have really valued. You know, this is another alternative. Um, so, yeah. Wow. I love it. Well, you know, this time is racing by. And as Jarrett mentioned, you know, these strategies that we're talking about, each one of these could be a show plus, but we wanted to kind of pull this all together in this with this umbrella of major gifts. And the last thing that we're going to talk today is strategy number five, post meeting follow up. What does that look like to you? So, um, Actually, and then one thing and part of it is adding on to what I just said, um, you know, is 
even if it, whether they say no or whether they say yes, even especially the no, the conversation continues, right? We get to the end. And one of the um, important um, you know, closing areas of the conversation is agreeing to next steps, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's I'll think about it, it's a yes, you know, it's a maybe, you know, you don't want to leave it without a plan, you know? And then there's, you know, there's a difference between the no and the not now. So there's, you know, there's so many different path pathways, but all of them involve, you know, coming to a sense of agreement about the next steps, making sure that you've uh, given them an opportunity to ask questions, you've offered suggested things that would be helpful to get for them, um, you know, and, and you kind of rephrase it and go over it. And then within 24 hours, send a thank you, send a thank you email, even if you were, and you know, when you're setting, um, you know, what you're going to follow up on, be, be, be candid about the timeline. You know, I'm going to get you answers to these questions, but it's going to take me a few days, or I can get that for you, you know, tomorrow or next week, whatever that timeline is though, you contact them right away and say, thank you. And, um, you know, even even if maybe they're generate, you know, a millennial and they don't really do regular mail, you know, I'll, I'll send them an email or a text, but I'll also mail something if it's a significant gift to kind of um, stand out. Yeah. And then I'll make sure that somebody else says thank you, whether it's the CEO or the president, um, the more personal, the better, whether they pick up the phone and leave a voicemail whether they send an email, sometimes I've drafted the email and they send it. Right. Uh, so you make it really easy for whoever's going to be the leader. Um, Jennifer, then- I'm I'm curious. Uh, sorry to interrupt. My no, question is: Do we thank them and do we thank them regardless for the meeting? Do we ask a secondary thank you to come from someone if they, you know, do not commit to that gift then and there? Like, how do you handle that? Yeah, um, a lot of times I do, depending on the, on the, um, you know, the the level or the level of interaction they've had with somebody else, you know, thank you so much for considering this. I know this wasn't the right time or that this, but we just want to say how much we value because they're probably, they're likely still a donor or some, you know, involved and you, you want to continue building. And just because someone says no, doesn't mean they're not going to say yes in the, in the future. So I do, Um, you know, the, the messaging is of course different. And in a lot of maybe situations, thank you so much for considering this, you know, it's such an honor um, you know, that we're so honored that you are considering such a significant, you know, investment in us. And then um, if they say yes, you know, you start thinking about a stewardship plan. And when, you know, usually it's okay, we're gonna we're gonna create an agreement and send this agreement and then have a stewardship meeting with them and ask them how they want to be thanked, you know, giving them options. A lot of people, some people would value something that's like more grand and maybe more costly. Other people want to see the full amount of their gift go towards the cause and would actually be turned off by something more extravagant, right? Right. And then some people want real personal meeting. Like we've created albums and picture books or cards with personal messages. 
Maybe there's a connection, uh, an opportunity to connect with a beneficiary mm-hmm. and get that kind of thank you. Um, so those are all important. Uh, and, and what I'm hearing too is, you know, get creative and customize it for that individual or the groups of, of individuals. You know, I'm thinking of like, Family giving as a major ask, that's a big thing now, especially with a lot of, you know, like collective family wealth, um, multi-generations, you know, being part of the decision, being part of the solicitation and the investment. So I love all of these areas of of, of possibilities. Um, you know, as we wrap up, I just, we were going to pull up, of course, your contact information. Thank you so much. I have to ask you, because I feel like this might be the elephant in the room when it comes to a major gift. For me, my understanding is that is determined and decided on individually by every organization. So, you know, as our viewers and listeners are thinking about this, it's like, oh, a million dollars, a quarter of a million. Like, I would love to sit down with someone and ask for 10,000 or 5,000. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I don't want to turn off. It's just my personal, like in academia, but it's every organization has its own. It might be a thousand dollars, five thousand dollars. And all of these strategies are pertaining to any level of that. Absolutely. Asking. Yeah, I so appreciate this conversation, uh, Jennifer, you know, really looking at the diversification of funding and the sustainability model of the revenues for our $1.8 million, or sorry, million registered nonprofits. You know, we have to have these conversations. We have to, you know, uh, sit down face-to-face, whatever that might look like. So thank you for bringing these five strategies for major donor success, Um, you always bring such insightful and again, eloquent information. So thank you. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. A favorite topic indeed. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you can tell. Hey, everybody, again, I'm Julia Patrick, CEO of the American Nonprofit Academy. Been joined today by the nonprofit nerd herself, Jared R. Ransom, CEO of the Raven Group. Again, these amazing days like we've had today come to us with support from Bloomerang, American Nonprofit Academy your part-time controller, nonprofit thought leader, fundraising academy at National University, staffing boutique, and the nonprofit nerd. Without their support, we wouldn't be able to have these amazing conversations. So thank you so much, Jennifer. I learned a lot today. I was reminded of some things, and I love how you put it all together for us. So thank you, thank you, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for having us. Hey, it was a lot of fun, everybody. Tomorrow, it's even going to be more wonderful. So join us again. And as we like to end every episode, we want to remind everyone to stay well so you can do well. Thank you, ladies.